This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guest today is Deacon Jim Grevenitis, who is the head of the prison ministry in the diaconate office for the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And before we get to our questions for Deacon Jim, Matthew chapter 25 tells us, For I was naked, and you clothed me, ill, and you cared for me, in prison, and you visited me. So one of the ministries that the clergy here in the diocese participate in is the prison ministry. How did you get involved in leading the prison ministry for the diocese? Well, as everybody else went through the period of COVID, it was at that time that all the prison ministries throughout our diocese, actually throughout the state, shut down. So as it was beginning to get geared up again, the bishop asked that the diaconate office take over supervision of prison ministry. So since we've been coming out of COVID and has run through our office, my office at the diaconate. So often society banishes people to prisons to be forgotten forever, but the diocese and the prison ministry say otherwise. So talk a little more about the restart of the prison ministry. How does it change the lives of those in prison? And has anything changed since the restart? There have been significant changes, actually, since the restart. With that, all the jails and the prisons had an opportunity to look how they brought ministry and how they brought religion to the inmates. The other side of prisons and jails is their staffing has shrunk almost 50%, so they don't have the availability to have as many services as we used to have. So most of them, almost all of them, cut down to just a weekend service every weekend. That's most of the jails and some of the prisons. For example, Pinellas County, they used to have three or four religious sessions every evening during the week. That no longer exists. We're only in there on Saturday mornings. But I think it's critical, and the the jails and the prisons acknowledge the fact that they have to allow the prisoners to be able to express their faith to be able to pray, to be able to come together and recognize the presence of God where they are. Because as you stated, once you're in a prison, everything is kind of taken away from you. And this is the one opportunity to help them feel human again and also help to reach out to God. They all have some form of faith life in them. Our liturgy of the word, our communion services, our opportunity to talk gives them an opportunity to reflect on God touching their lives reforming their lives, which is exactly what we want prisons to do. Yeah, one of the biggest opportunities that we have because we're Catholic and where we can, we bring in priests to hear their confession. About two months ago, I had the opportunity while I was doing a communion service, Father Josh Bertrand was in there and that's all he did for an hour was to hear the confessions of these of the inmates, and this was at Pinellas County Jail, and just to see them all lined up there to get that opportunity to ask for God's forgiveness through the sacrament of confession. That's a pretty powerful statement on their part. I think it really showed their hearts. Just an opportunity, and we're doing that in almost all the jails and prisons right now. Again, when our Catholic priests make themselves available to minister in the jails and prisons. It must be a little intimidating, though, to visit people who some of them are in prison for violent crimes. Do those in the ministry fear visiting some of those inmates? You know, the first time you walk into a prison to serve in ministry, you immediately recognize the different location you're in. You realize these people are locked up without the ability to—you lose your freedom. 
clean and simple, just ministering to them. When I'm walking there on Saturdays, you know your freedom is under somebody else's control. That's you as a minister. As a minister, they're probably a little bit more relaxed. People talk about going into this ministry, and that's the first thing they ask. Is it safe? Is it going to be okay? Is it scary? You just have to kind of experience it. It's like going to a doctor for the first time that you got to listen to what might be wrong and what might be there. But once you get into the service, once you get into the ministry and you realize that a lot of them volunteer to come to this service, they're there for a reason and they appreciate your being there. But I got to tell you, when you walk in and you're locked into this room, this little chapel room, and you hear the door slamming behind you, you know you're in jail. Where is help if you needed it? Oh, we carry radios and they carry a panic button and a radio and the guards are all wandering outside. And that is one time that the prisoners are together and they don't have seven or eight guards standing around them because the guards do not sit in the room with us. Have you ever experienced any violent episodes while ministering yourself? No, not at all. And the history that I'm aware of, we really haven't had there. Now, there have been some lockdowns where something else is happening elsewhere in the jail, and they just tell you, you're on lockdown until we come and get you. So we've had a few ministers that have been in the chapel for two or three hours waiting for a lockdown to clear out. With inmates? Oh, yes, yes. What about those who are living the rest of their lives in prison, maybe even those that are on death row? What is it like ministering to those men and women who will never again see the light of day? I was just talking with somebody about that this morning because they serve in the state prison. And when you're in a state prison, you're ministering to people that know that they're going to be here for X number of years. When you're in a county jail, everybody in the county jail is anticipating their release for whatever reason that they're in there. So the people that are in there for a number of years have a tendency to be more settled. They know where they're going to be, and you're helping them develop their reconciliation with God for what they did and while they are there. So it is a different perspective from the inmate when they know they're there for a certain period of time. And as I said, in the jails, they're either there for less than a year or they're waiting for their attorney to get them out. So there's a little bit more anxiety or anxiousness to, okay, I'm going to get out of here pretty soon. And they walk out saying, I hope I don't see you next month where the long-term people that have been sentenced for a solid period of time, they're making their reconciliation. They're doing what they can. And they're reminded almost each time who else they need to think about, who else they need to forgive, and who they should ask forgiveness of because of why they're there. We're talking with Deacon Jim Grevenitis from the Diaconate Office here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Prisons can also be a place, and jails can also be a place where gangs are prevalent. One might want to put on a strong face, but in reality, they're hurting just like the rest of us. So talk about those prisoners who might be gang members who are putting on that strong face, but on the inside, they're torn apart. That's very, very true. And you can see that in the way they react to whatever prayer service that they're in. And a lot of times in our prayer services, we engage in a little bit of conversation. So that gives them an opportunity to respond or to react to what message that you're delivering them to. And that's when you see the difference. As I mentioned, during a time of confession, watching the inmates leave their benches to go and have their confession heard, 
you can just see their personal reality coming into life and they're not even worried about the inmates that are next to them showing off whatever membership, whatever group they hang out in. You can also hear it in some of the personal questions. They get an opportunity to talk to some of the ministers when they're there, and they might talk about a specific Bible verse or a place they can go in the Bible, or they might turn around and say, you know, last week in my Bible, I read this. Can you explain this to me a little further? So they let themselves go, and they become that independent person as long as somebody else isn't watching them or kind of pointing out to them. Do you ever see inmates get a little defensive during the services? Oh, every now and then it happens. Again, I would have to say that 70, 75% of the inmates that come to this service are there for the real reason of a spiritual connectedness to God. And, you know, there are going to be people that just come to get out of their cells for an hour. They might sit in the back corner and talk to each other. That happens every now and then. I have yet to experience anything where it's done to be violent or cause trouble. It's really just an opportunity to get out of being locked in their cell for a little bit. So even if we're providing that service, I think it's a good break for them. It's probably a good break for the guards as well. You never know what type of seed is being planted in the hearts of the people that are just sitting there to get out of their cells. That's true. That's true. Do those in prison need extra work on their faith? Do you have to break down walls or do you find that they're pretty open to receiving the Spirit? Yes, I think they're open, but you do have to break down walls because it's very, very typical that it's because of somebody else that I am in here. And there's a little bit more of finger pointing. So when we do our reflection or homily, whatever you want to call it during a service, hopefully it gears to that opportunity of self-awareness as opposed to pointing and blaming. The other thing that I really started to appreciate is how much they pray for and feel about their families, whether it's a spouse or a child. They definitely recognize the injury that they're doing to their family, and they miss them. They, they really miss them. I know when we do open prayers, intercessory prayers in our services, they're always talking about their spouse or their children. They're looking for not only forgiveness, but care and that God watch over them because they can't be there right now to help watch over their own families. Often we forget they have families. Often we forget that they are kind of locked up. And yeah, they did some wrong, but they're still locked up in society and they happen to get caught. I hate to say it like that, but they happen to be caught. Well, we are all sinners. Yep. Now, how do you deal with knowing that a person is locked up and they care about their family? Sadly, sometimes relatives die. So do you ever have to deal with the grief that a prisoner is going through? I've gone through a little bit of that, and that does happen because they get the message that a family member died. A lot of it is with parents, their parents dying or have cancer or aged. And we talk about the grace of God and that person who had died, knowing that there was a sense of forgiveness and healing. And I think that that's a big part of the inmates being able to open up to their personal faith and recognizing that they didn't get to see that family member. They didn't get to see that person and exchange that. So the only way they can exchange that is through prayer and a conversation with God. Do you get opportunities when you're dealing with an inmate that had a loss like that? Do you get opportunities to have one-on-one counseling or is it always a group setting? The settings we're in are group settings. However, if there is a one-on-one situation, the chaplain has a couple of ministers that they call 
and we will go to a one-on-one video conference. I've done that for a couple, but those are video. Those are direct one-on-one video, at least in Pinellas County Jail. They have not opened up to one-on-one visitation. There are opportunities, however, if there's a person that has a desire to see a priest for a specific reason, the chaplain there does make an opportunity for a priest to have a one-on-one visit with an inmate that seriously needs it. So in that case, if they were really struck by a family loss, the chaplain would most probably arrange for a personal visit. What about after somebody gets out? Does your ministry stay in touch with inmates when they are released? Not really. Not as much as it used to be. It used to be a big part of the ministry. It might grow again to that, but at this point, we are short of ministers as well, so it's very difficult to do that. We encourage them to go ahead and visit their local Catholic church. There are so many services in these areas, both in Hillsborough and and Pinellas County and through the state, that we do work to direct them to four or five different organizations that could really help them get settled again, not just to listen to them, but to actually give them some good support in getting reengaged into society. We're talking with Deacon Jim Gravenitis from the Diocese of St. Petersburg. If someone wants to get involved in this ministry, it is a volunteer ministry, correct? Yes, a volunteer. So who can they contact? The easiest way is to go through the prison ministry office, which is through our diaconate office. And depending on where you want to minister, it depends on where you live. Each of the counties, if you want to go into a jail, you, you have to live in that county. Or with the state prison, we put you in touch with the state chaplain's office. And each one of the jails or state have their own procedure for clearing. So you fill out an application. Once the application is filled out, the jail, whatever it is, the county or the state, will do some background checking and other information. And once they clear you, they would invite you in for training. So it could take four weeks. It could take eight weeks to go ahead and get cleared and get trained and participate in the ministry. And this is not meant for just anybody that wants to go listen to people. I mean, you have to have some sort of background, right? Not really. It's experience in ministry that counts, but more importantly is a long-term desire to stay involved in ministry. We have had people that have come in and realized this is not for me. One thing I've noticed about people involved in our local ministry is they just love it. They really feel called that they're bringing something to somebody who has lost their connection with society. Most of our ministers really just like it. The way we're set up is we have a ministry liaison for each county and for the state. So each of them have just this wonderful desire to lead that and to help encourage to become ministers. So they help people settle down and get comfortable with the ministry. Most of the time, though, when people go into the ministry and they get ready to go through it and they go through the training, they're going to walk in a little tentative. But once you get one experience at it, once you've lived through it, it's not what you thought it might be. I have a good friend who made some mistakes in life and ended up in prison, and it was sad to see his friends just abandon him. That's heartbreaking, and that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. So don't abandon your loved ones if they are in prison. Keep that connection, and your ministry helps us do that. Yeah, and you're right. It is amazing how often, either in our own families or anything else, where we have cut people off because they have a history. And you just got to look at it. If it's your own family member, whatever relative it might be, you're not going to forget 
you asked before about that kind of an experience. And I had a mother from Virginia call me up by accident. Her daughter was put in jail in Pinellas County. She couldn't figure out what was going on. And we happened to be our only connection because there was nobody here that they could reach out to. And made a point to call her back, visit her daughter in, in the jail, and also call her back. And she had nobody to talk to that actually had a face-to-face conversation with her daughter at that time. So that's a connection. you got to appreciate that every day, because what if it were you? So. That must have brought an amazing amount of peace to that mother. It clearly did. It clearly did. And it, it was just to be able to deliver her the news that I had a good conversation with her daughter. Her daughter loved her because she was afraid there was a split. It was just a good opportunity to convey a word to her mother from her daughter. It was a gift. It was a. It was just a nice moment. That's a gift of God right there. It is. It is. I just think that people need to remember that they are human beings, and we need not to take away their whole life. And I don't know that anybody really understands what it's like to be locked up. It's scary, and sometimes it's the only opportunity they have to connect with the outside. So even if you don't want to serve, to remember those that are incarcerated, and so much of it is just a matter of circumstances, to remember those people that have been abandoned. Remember them in prayer. That's something everyone can do. Yes, very much so. In all the ministries, I want to recognize the chaplains in these jails and prisons. Most people think of them as employees and supporting what's going on in in where they're incarcerated, but they do so much to cooperate with us and go sometimes head-to-head with the administration to make sure that people are receiving some spiritual support and help. And it, it is amazing how much the chaplains do for all the inmates to bring whatever religion they follow into their lives. Our guest today has been Deacon Jim Gravenitis from the Diocese of St. Petersburg, the head of the prison ministry, and this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Andrea Eberhardt. Andrea has a great story of redemption. Andrea, you have a special love for Spirit FM, but it took a rough road to get you there. So before we get to all of that, tell us, how was your life growing up? Boy, my life growing up was extremely difficult. I'm one of six children. I'm actually number five of six, and my parents didn't really know how to show love. They slept in separate rooms. Pretty much all I can remember is my dad slept on the living room couch. Love was not shown. The words I love you, I don't remember ever hearing to us kids or to my parents, to each other. When did you first start heading down the path that led to eventual incarceration? I was 23 when I went to prison, and I don't remember too much of anything good in my life. I moved to Florida, and I think that's when my life really went downhill. I moved to Florida on October 1st, 2001, and October 1st, 2003, I was arrested. How old were you then? I had just turned 23 when I was arrested. That was a whole beginning of a new journey that lasted how many years? 
I was in prison for five years and on probation for 10. Can you talk about that first moment when they put the handcuffs on and also your first full 24 hours in the prison system? What were you going through emotionally? Oh, I hated myself. I, I, at that point, I didn't know what that was. I just knew that I did not like who I was. I mean, the minute that I had done what I did, I became the people that I hated my whole life. And so that first 24 hours was incredibly emotional. I, I don't think I didn't stop crying the whole 24 hours. And I didn't know not to talk. And I talked. And at that point, I was trying to open up to people. And I just didn't know who I was talking to. When you say you didn't know not to talk, is that because you're supposed to clam up in prison? No, I was just naive to, if I talk about my charge, they use it against me. In courts? Yes. I was naive. I had never been arrested in my life, and I didn't know. So that first 24 hours, I talked to a couple people, and eventually it was used against me, but I had already turned myself in, so what I had said was not anything different than what I had told initially. As the hours turned to days, and then the days turned into weeks, and the weeks into months, and the months into years, where was your heart? Did you have a change in your heart and your spirituality over those five years? Yes, but it took a long time. I mean, it took a long time. I think I was just so broken while there. I had never dealt with my own abuse. I had never dealt with any of my past. So for me, I was just a broken person. And I didn't didn't trust God at all because God was a man and I didn't trust men. I knew who God was. I knew God could love. I grew up going to church but I just didn't think God could love me. I had done too much wrong. I was too far gone. So God could love everybody else, but I was unlovable. And at some point you realized that that belief was wrong. Yes. And that took lots and lots of ministries coming into the prisons and telling me that I was loved and showing me that God loves me no matter what. And it doesn't matter what I did, that God still loved me. Talk about prison ministry and being a participant in that program. What was the program? Well, the first one was a pastor named Pastor Dave Terhune, who has since passed away. But he was the very first one. The very first day I met him, he came into the prison and he said, I love you, Andrea, and God loves you more. And I said, well, you don't, you can't love me. You know, you don't know what I did. And he says, it doesn't matter what you did. I still love you, and God loves you even more. And every time I ever saw him, that's what he said. And then the second ministry was Kairos. Kairos went in for reunions, what they call reunions. It's a one-day little two-hour thing that they do. And then they did a weekend that I was blessed to be picked by God to get into. I went into that weekend suicidal, so much self-hatred. I I truly hated myself and I wanted to die. I didn't want to live. And I left that weekend wanting to live. And the difference was that weekend you learned that God does love you. Yes. And that's huge. Yes. So after you served your time, did you know that you would have a five-year sentence or was it one of those kind of floating times and maybe you would go up for parole? No, I was given a couple of pleas that I did not take. 
And then they gave me the plea of five years, and I went ahead and took that because the next step would have been trial. And you didn't want to take the chance of... No. They had already lessened my charge. They had a, a, a higher charge when I first went in. And then when I took the plea, they had to drop my charge to, for me to take that plea. So you knew it was a five-year sentence. Yes. As you passed that 48 months, what were you thinking and what were you feeling? Were you at all fearful of being in the outside world again? You know, I don't remember. I don't, I don't think I was fearful, but I knew that I had a long road ahead of me because I still had not gotten certain counseling help and I knew I had a lot of things coming out into society that I had to deal with and I knew I had probation to deal with too. Had you received any counseling regarding your own suffering as a victim? No. None? None. You have since? Well, yes and no. I deal with Celebrate Recovery, and that's where my real healing has been in the last, since 2010, so the last like 13 years. Celebrate Recovery. Yes. Celebrate Recovery is for anybody who has any hurt habit or hang up. At some point, you were given a date of your release. What happens then? Did they just open the doors, you walk out, and then you have to somehow restart your life? When I was released, I came to Pinellas County. And I went to, it was a trailer park there that I lived in. And at some point, I had to get a job on my own. They gave me a bus ticket when I left prison, and that was it. And a place to go? No, I had to find that myself. My sister actually helped me while I was in the last couple of weeks getting me the place. She put some money down on the place for me so I could go. So now we need to turn things to a much more positive side of the story where you actually grew a deep connection with Spirit FM radio. So tell us that story. Well, while I was in prison, I was at Hernando Correctional Institute and I was given a radio from my sister. Well, I bought a radio from the store they have for the prisoners. Uh, usually when you get the radio, they're not tuned to anything. It's all the dials all the way over and you tune it to whatever. But I had gotten this radio and I turned it on and it was already tuned to Spirit FM. And you just started listening? Yes. Didn't even try changing the dial? No. So, <laughs> so at that point, did you know Christian music? I did. I had grown up in the church. I grew up going to church. So I knew, like, I mean, it took a long time for me to know exactly what Christianity really meant and how much God loved me. You had to climb some major mountains to figure that out. Yes. But you've been an avid listener ever since? Yes. And that was in 2004, 2005, somewhere in that range that I got the radio and it was tuned in, and I started listening to the morning show every single morning. Absolutely fell in love with it. So what do you say to somebody that is struggling with their path choices in life? Don't give up. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And God does love you, and you're not a mistake. doesn't matter what you did. You are not a mistake. Our guest today has been Andrea Eberhardt. And this is how we see it. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, 
Visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.